0: all right good evening everybody my name is craig or crafty from craftworks distillery and this is our little series called australian craft distillers shooting the shit basically those uh, who don't know about it what we're doing is we're having conversations with distillers and people that help us pull our spirits together and put it into bottles so it's um It's a very open, frank conversation. We have a bit of fun on the way, and uh, we hope you enjoy it. So we've interviewed Australian distillers. We've interviewed uh, Cooperage, Master Cooperage, Coopers. And uh, tonight, we've got a very, very exciting person that we're going to have our wee chat to, just a wee chat. And this would be Mr. Ned Gahan from Waterford Distillery. Waterford Distillery in Ireland. Oh, I went Ireland instead of Ireland. Ireland Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't help myself. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, w- without further ado, I'd like to introduce uh, who's on the who's on the screen tonight. So, in the bottom left, we have Todd, the Todd, my um, right-hand man at Craftworks Distillery. On the oh, there was the left. On the right is uh, Luke. Local nerd, whiskey lover, and IT support, and holding this whole thing together. And without further ado, the man of the night that we're going to have some fun with tonight and ask some really good questions, Ned
1: from Waterford. How are you, mate?
0: Good crafting yourself,
1: Slauncher from from Waterford in Ireland, or as you say, Ireland. Ireland. <laughs> Ireland. And, yeah, so it's 7 o'clock with you in the evening, and it's 8 o'clock here in the morning. So, um, yeah, we, we'll, we'll shoot some shit, and we'll have a few drinks, and we'll have a bit of crack. So thanks I'll for having you. me on, anyway. I'm delighted to be uh, having a chat with you at the other side of the world there.
0: Mate, right, it's o- it's awesome to have you on. And, um yeah, I mean, it's a good way to start the day for you and it's a good way for us to, to finish the night. So, um, yeah, let's rip into it. So, first things first, um, I have a sample of Waterford. I have a sample of two Waterfords, actually. I have uh, Bano Island and is it Bally, Bally Cacan?
1: Bally, Bally no,
0: Cacan. I've got that one as well. So,
1: I've just okay. bought
0: Bano Island 1.1. And you were saying a second ago, that's what you've got in the glass as well. Yeah, so
1: I have Banner 1.1 as well, if people can see that. So, wow. yeah, you, you you sent a care package uh, of, uh, of your own stuff over, but I didn't get it yet, so no. I, said I said it'd be rude to have you drinking on your own, so I said i better order <laughs> go or something. So. Yeah, yes. so we've Banner 1.1, so. Awesome. Well,
0: I, as I said, um I just poured this. Uh, I haven't actually tasted it yet, but uh, man, I'm loving the legs. I'm loving the legs, and I'm loving the nose.
1: I really yeah. am. It's- so I suppose just on on the oils on on uh, what what we ha- tend to have is we have really uh, good oils on our new make spirit and our whiskey. And um, what I what I would usually say, say is that uh, the legs are like mine, slow and thick. So uh, <laughs> that's. that's uh, Uh, I think that's a good analogy for all the oils that we have on the the legs. But yeah, really good oils, really good legs. Yeah, and this, I suppose, was one of the first two releases that came out. So this is three years, seven months and 10 or 11 days old. Um, So yeah, really good nose on it. It's, um, what's the ABV? 50%? 50%, 50%, 50%, yeah. All our whiskeys are 50%. Non-chill filtered and uh, no Colouring so uh, natural whiskey. right? Excellent.
0: All right. Well, course, let's let's yeah. let's start at the beginning. Why? why I'm, I'm enjoying mm-hmm. this, and why you're enjoying yours? Um, so as I mentioned the the other day, uh, I have a real soft spot for uh, Brook Laddie. Brook Brook Laddie was uh, the ignition of my passion and. That, yeah, it's the reason I do what I do now. Uh, it just excited me. And it started with someone uh, at a masterclass telling the whole story of, of Brooke Laddie. Uh And this is in the days of Mark Rainier and, um, and Jim McEwen. And um, now, of course, Mark's moved on uh, and created the Waterford uh, experience. Um, so take us right back to the start, if you could, and, and just... How did it come about? How, how, did Mark turn up in Waterford and went, this is a damn good spot to open up a distillery, and then engage with the local community? How, how did it all start? I, I'd be very intrigued to hear that.
1: Yeah, yeah I suppose we, we, we go back to that. So I suppose it started, and uh, when, when you're talking about Mark, and you're talking about Waterford, you, you start with uh, Brooklady and previous to that was wine. So Mark has been 20 years in the wine industry and then 20 years in the whiskey industry. So when Mark was in Brookladdy, he, he revived it, I suppose. Uh, he tells the story of going to uh, and, and, and uh, on, a, on a bike with his brother on a golfing, holiday, to have a look at the distillery, because when he was in the wine, wine world, he came across Brookladdy and it was the first whiskey that he kind of really uh, felt, felt he had a connection with, I suppose. But when he got to Brookladdy, it was closed. And on uh, the sign there was a uh, uh, plant closed was on, on it. But there was someone walking around and Mark said, hello, I, I'm a big fan. Would it be possible to come in and have a look around? And uh, there was someone there and, uh, and, and told him to fuck off. Like. So I think that kind of, that kind of uh, was Mark's first experience of, of Broklady. Uh, but uh, resolved to buy Broklady. So went, went to buy it. it. took him a good few years to buy it. Eventually did buy it and got it up and running. And uh, I suppose, you know, people are familiar with Brook Laddie then and where it went and what it had become. But uh, in 2013, then I think, uh, yeah, but the laddie there. In 2013, then uh, Remy came knocking to buy. And I suppose, cut a long story short, Mark didn't want to buy it or didn't want to sell it. But right. the rest of the board did, so it was sold. Uh, Mark felt, I suppose, that his terror approach and stuff was only kind of getting going because it, it was a slow burner on Rocklady uh, to get people on board and get people to buy in and that. So uh, he left, and uh, I suppose he, he felt, he, felt uh, he still had uh, unfinished business. So um, he remembered a conversation. Uh, that himself and Duncan uh, uh Duncan McKilvary, uh, who was his uh, chief engineer, but glad he had, who sadly passed away this year. Yeah. Um, and Duncan said to him that the best barley he ever saw came from the southeast of Ireland, and actually came from the port of Waterford, so it would have left the port of Waterford. Um, so that stuck with Mark. Um, so he just said, listen, Ireland is, is a common market, There's saturation of distilleries in Scotland, there's growth uh, potential in Ireland, so he came over to Ireland, and the the, the distillery that's here was previously a brewery, uh, built originally in 1792, um, and and the first documented uh, uh, of the the brewery was the 14th of February, so Valentine's Day, 1792. Uh, Diageo or Guinness bought then around 1956, Uh, and proceeded to uh, do what Diageo does, spend money and then close it. (laughs) Uh, So it was a traditional brewery. uh, We were making an ale called Smithix and made a lager called Hoffman's. And then in 2004, spent 40 million euros, uh, upgrading it from uh, a traditional brewery to what was called a a beer blending agent plant, or BBA, where we made... Uh, Guinness concentrate for about 40 different markets. Actually, Australia is one of the markets. Are you familiar with GFE? I'm not, uh, no, no, no. So, it, it's, it's more like uh, it, it's a uh, Nigeria, actually, would have been the second biggest market for Guinness in the world at the time. So, a plant in Dublin and say James gave would have supplied that. So, basically, a concentrate Guinness. You send Fine. it off to different markets and uh, they do a base beer and you add this and you get this concentrate, Again, you get this GFE. So it's actually about 8% alcohol. And if anyone is familiar with a bottle of Guinness, if you've been to Ireland or if any of the Irish people are out there, it's a bit more like that than the point of Guinness. But anyway, they spent uh, 40 million and 10 years later decided to shut, shut it down. Um, due due um, to the downturn of the economy, and obviously in sales of, of beer. Uh, so they closed ourselves at Kenny Brewery and Dundalk Brewery and consolidated all to Dublin. And I suppose two of the three sites are now distilleries, ourselves and Dundalk, John Teeling being in Dundalk. So Mark came over, happened that there was a, a state-of-the-art plant uh, uh, here as it was. So um, he came over Southeast Ireland, found somewhere that he could make whiskey with a, a small um, um, investment in engineering and got it for the right money. So Everton just started just the line from him, I suppose. Came over and he bought it. So he bought it in 2015. Um, so he spent around 7 million euros, I think, at the time. And wow. If, you're, if you were to... Uh, Cost out all the plant and everything. It would probably be that and a bit more, yeah. So he got it. He got it for good money. Yeah. Um, when he was buying Brooklady, it took him uh, nearly a year to get 30 investors. And uh, he tells the story. It was literally the last 10 seconds or 15 seconds, and uh, for the deal falling through. And he, he actually bought it. So this time around, I think it took him 11 hours to get 60 investors. <laughs> so, the money came in. So, I suppose we started on a good financial note. We had really good investors. Uh, so, that uh, meant that we uh, didn't need to sell gin, we didn't need to sell bottles or casks. So, every bit of stock that we were laying down was going to turn into whiskey, and we could, we could uh, spend six years with no income. So what happened then, Mark was looking at, uh, what's the concept? What's, what, what's he looking at? Uh, and it's terroir, I suppose. We're known for terroir, but for, for us, it's, uh, it's the umbrella un, term of provenance. And yeah. provenance for us is uh, terroir, traceability, and transparency, okay? Gotcha. So single farms. So he wanted to get a single farm to be brewed and distilled and cast and bottled separately. So how do you go about that? <laughs> uh, you, you, so he, he bought the, the, the brewery here uh, in 2015 then we started converting it to a distillery and actually uh, it yesterday 2015 for five yesterday five years ago was our first run of the stills. So we're five years and a day running the stills, I suppose. Wow, um, congratulations so it, on that. Yeah, thanks, thanks, yeah. It was a. Uh, it was a big deal at the time i suppose we were less than a year uh, turning from a brewery to a distillery and so Mark met with uh, some maltsters um, and explained what he was looking for and explained what he'd need and his vision and uh, so we partnered with Minch Malt who are, are known also as Boer Malt internationally and they were planting a thaw. So they have the contact with the farmers. We don't have contracts with farmers. Of course, some people think that we have contracts with farmers and we don't. It's with uh, Menchmod and they have the contracts. But we do have a good working relationship with farmers. Yep. And uh, so, basically, what are we looking for? Uh, we're looking for roughly around 100 to 120 tons of barley to be supplied and kept separate. So, the next meeting Mark had, I think, was with Dalton's in Kenny, and uh, Dalton and Kenny are a merchant, a grain merchant. So they bring in the grain and they look after it. And they had been used to bringing in, you know, lorry loads of grain, thousands of tons, and drying it and storing it. But Mark right. wanted the farms to be stored individually. So the first challenge was to build something where uh, grain can be kept separate. So uh, they met Mark, I think, and shook hands in May. 2015, and they asked him, uh, so when do you want this done? And he said, well, for the harvest this year, which was August. So they just kicked into gear, And I suppose this whole project doesn't work without uh, Dalton doing that and having that day. So they built what we called the cathedral, which was a big shed with individual concrete bays that can hold uh, each farm separately. So, when I mentioned terroir and traceability and transparency, I suppose this is where the traceability comes into effect a bit. In that, uh, normally a farmer would bring the grain to the merchant and, and dump it there, but to ensure traceability, uh, Dalton's would collect the grain. So, each load is, is traced from the farm uh, into, into Dalton's. So, that's say three or four lorry loads, then is uh, left in the ground and then that's dried separately. So we have a, a, a dryer that's separate to all the others all the other grains to dry that. Um, and that comes in, I suppose about 18% moisture. We dry down our daughters dry down to about 14% moisture. And so if 120 tons comes in we'll get about maybe over a hundred tons of dry grain stored. Right. Okay, so that's that's uh, so I suppose Mark, when Mark came, it was really an aligning of the stars. Everyone just clicked into place for him. Same with people here. He never actually advertised for anyone. It was people who he met or just a happenstance, you know, or I know this person, they could be good and uh, you, you get a job. So it was just, I suppose at the moment, there's probably about, eight or ten people working here who had worked here previously. So um, that that was a help, I suppose. When we started initially, there was a few of us who had worked here previously. So that kind of helped get things up and running as well. So definitely an aligning of the stars. And also when Mark came, none of us knew what Tower was about. None of us had a clue, but there was absolutely no resistance to it. Whereas in Brook Daddy, it took him probably a long time to get people... Uh, in on the idea because uh, they had been, they are, I suppose, whiskey. Um, uh, they're used to whiskey, they've been involved in whiskey all their life. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's going back to the what people say, like, you know, 80% of whiskey's flavors come from uh, the barrel like of meat, say, kind of that's a bit of bullshit, really. But anyway, we'll talk about that after, like, you know. Um, but yeah, so there was no there was no there was no pushback. I don't think I think he was very surprised at that. So we just hit the ground running, and I think that that was a big help as well in the first few years. And what about from from yourself from
0: from your own personal story? Because you were working at the brewery,
1: yeah. was
0: that correct? And the brewery closed yeah. down. Yeah. Uh, so when it was the opportunity of Waterford, how did you make the transition from brewer to distillery? And and just to add to that. Uh, I have a huge amount of respect personally for the brewing aspect of, of distilling. Um, and I think if you've got fundamental brewing excellence that will carry through in, into distillation, making great whiskey. So yeah. How did, how did you make the, the transition? Yeah, then? I suppose
1: it was uh, yeah. So I, 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 worked in the brewery for 15 years. Um, and when the brewery closed then I decided to uh, take a year off. The kids were small I so said, take a year off and, uh, and uh, see how that goes and stuff. The editors were starting school. So, that's today to date, I'd say that's to be the toughest job I've ever done. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, at, at the end of that, then I said, uh, Well, when I was starting off, I said, I'd take a year out, and at the end of that, I'd, I'd go back and get a job. Um, so, I had met Mark during the year, as it happened. Uh, there was a guy here um, who was kind of a uh, caretaker, and, and Mark had come in to have a look around. So I got a call uh, from Eugene to say, listen, there's a guy here and he's asking some questions about uh, process and, and all the bits and pieces, and he wasn't sure, so he said, if you're around, could you come down? So I said, yeah. So I came down and got bad information as well, starting off, and he said, there's an English fella and two Scottish fellas there, he said, and the two Scottish lads are going to the distillery. I don't know who the English lad is. Okay. So I went into the uh, the office and uh, uh, the two Scottish guys sat at one side of the table and, and the English, as it was, sat at the end of the table. So I faced the two Scottish lads and talked to and But the, Mark was obviously what uh, you described as Englishman, even though I think he's maybe Scottish, I don't know. Uh, and uh, the Scottish guys were Richard Forsyth, the woman's Forsyth. And right. he was a good friend of Mark's. And one of, the, one of the engineers from Foresights. So they were coming over to uh, have a look around. So asking questions and chatting away and the whole lot. And then we went out for a walk around and showed them around and that. And then that was over. And we were coming back in. And uh, Mark shook his hand and said, uh, thanks very much. And blah, blah.
2: So that was that was the first meeting. Didn't know who he was, didn't know anything about
1: him. And um, I said to Eugene, then, I said, who, who was that fellow? He said, oh, I don't know. Uh, so it turned out that Mark was buying an AI. So a couple of months later, uh, after he bought it, I sent him uh, a, a, a message on LinkedIn. And uh, then Paul started here, with was a site manager. I got to come in, but I had secured a job in the meantime, I suppose. And I was due to start on a Monday, and I came in with Mark on a Thursday. And uh, like anyone who knows Mark uh, knows, you don't tend to talk much. And he talks and, and I was a bit shell-shocked because coming from a Diageo background and after doing some, a lot of work on, you know, how to do interviews and stuff, this was nothing like, uh had happened before. Right. Um, so eventually when I did get, uh, you know, say to you bits and pieces, I was saying to him, listen, um, you know, I work for Diageo and this and that, and, um, uh, I said I have, you know, I kind of go on my gut on stuff on bits and pieces, you know. That's the way I kind of intuition, I suppose. I just said I go on my gut, and Mark said to me, "Oh yes," he said, "and what a substantial gut you've got." <laughs> so, so uh, when when you hear that in a, in an interview, so yeah, it's you, you put don't you on know the back what the fuck's going on. They're <laughs> scratching their head and they're kind of going, "Jesus, do I hear <laughs> this fella or what?" Like, you know? <laughs> uh, so so that kind of laid down the the that like So I came out of a I said to myself, "That was a waste of time, not a, not good." But what, just when I was leaving, he said, "What are you actually looking for?" He said, "I don't have a job." I said, "Well, tell me if you have a job." Uh, if, you, if you have a job in a few months, keep me in mind, or does not happen at all. So he said, Off you go, and a will So I got called a couple of hours later to say, Listen, can you start? So I said, Yeah. So there's no discussion about money or jobs or anything. So I had to ring uh, the, the other company I'd got a job for in total, and told them. they were very good. So I came in, and basically, when I started, uh, it was literally stripping uh, back the plant and helping. Anthony and Paul get the place up and run um, um, from an engineering point of view, so I was a mulligan, I suppose. So after a couple of months, um, um, Mark said to me, Listley said, uh, would you like to be head distiller? And I said, uh, yeah, sure, why not, like, you know? So I suppose uh, it, it was a bit of a punt because Mark, Mark had uh, envisaged uh, say, a chief engineer, a site manager, Uh, a head brewer and a head distiller. So at the time Lisa Ryan was here, she was the head brewer, Um, and I think the plan was to bring someone in from Scotland to do distilling. Um, And Mark did say, listen, he said, I'm taking a punt on this, he said. Uh, This is, you know, obviously the board or whatever maybe wanted uh, um, um, a head distiller to come in from uh, Scotland with experience. But I think what I kind of figured out afterwards was, I think Mark wanted virgin eyes or fresh eyes at it, you know, yeah. not to be not to be clouded by you know previous experiences or what people thought of whisky. Was to come at it with fresh eyes. And what he wanted to was someone who could actually distill, you know. So I had you know the brewing and the distilling. Like if, if someone was off sick, uh, Neil, who's the head brewer now, can do can do run the run the show, or I can run the show. And I think that's what he wanted. He wants someone who, who would be first and foremost uh, able to do distilling and brewing and understand all that. So that was, uh, I suppose that was kind of maybe six months into 2015. So that was my first introduction to uh, distilling. So it's been a learning curve uh, every day since. Um, so that, that was a bit of an eye opener and um, yeah, it's, it's going okay. Uh, it's it's great
0: it um, going back to what you were saying about tewa which uh, i'm going to come at it a different different perspective um, so there's there's schools of thought uh, there's school this is how i perceive it the schools of thought of tewa and and grain and grain does actually impact flavor and the, the other school of thought is the further you go down the manufacturing process of whiskey the less impact it has on the overall flavor profile. So grain has no impact at all. What you're doing is you're proving that grain does contribute to flavor substantially um, and you're proving terroir is a real thing. It's not a marketing spin thing. There must have been a wall of resistance from traditional um, distilleries uh, industrial distilleries that didn't subscribe to Tewa and subscribe to the fact that the barrel is king and it's, it's all to do with the barrel and, and barley is really just contribution of alcohol and nothing else. How have you managed to get your message across and push through that, that, that wall of opposition? Because you, you obviously have done that. Um, you know, on, a, on a world scale, people talk about Waterford and what Waterford is doing. So how, how has that been done? Yeah, I, I suppose
1: uh, baby steps. I suppose is probably the you know the starting point. Um, and, and, and I suppose to be honest, Crafty, a lot of people are still doubtful about terroir mm. I suppose I'm in the fortunate position, or the people in the distillery are in the fortunate position that we get to taste the new make every day, and we can see the difference in farm to farm to farm. Um, and there's still a lot of people out there who say. Uh, that the distillation process is a destructive part of the process. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I I I'm not I'm not a scientist. I I am not into science. I don't know, you know, the whole scientific uh, background of. It. But what I can tell you is that you know I've tasted the difference uh, from each farm. We at the start we tried to do everything as repeatable as possible so that the the difference was the barley. We've slightly changed now a little bit that. We're working with what the farmers is telling us. So with uh, fermentation times, with distillation, uh, cut points and bits and pieces. So a little bit more variable in it. But at the very start, we was trying to keep everything as repeatable as possible. And we were able to do that uh, to a large extent due to what the Azure left here with their, um, we, we have uh, Tamro-regulated uh, uh, washbacks, we have, um, pressure transmitters, temperature transmitters ever is captured. Our brew house is state-of-the-art. We have a mash filter and we have a hydro mill, which is very unusual, but the mash filter is uh, is like, I suppose, Mark calls it the terror extractor, okay? Right, so suppose, yeah. Um, when we're looking at terror and people's opposition to it, Mark has always said we're going to get knocked and we're, terroir is going to be Taken and used in the wrong uh, context, from our point of view. So, with that in mind, Mark looked at um, um, doing a terroir project. Okay, so we're probably we're just over three years into that now, and basically what it is is uh, to scientifically prove that terroir exists in uh, malt and barley for Irish malt and barley for whiskey. For okay. So um, there was a guy called Dr. Dustin Herb in Oregon State University who Mark had uh, read uh, some um, findings on and he had done something similar in craft beer in Oregon, in, in, in America. So we made contact with him and asked him would he be interested. So that kind of got the ball rolling. Neil Conway, the head brewer, then has kind of run with it um, uh, since, since, since that, I suppose. So what we're looking at is, uh, so Dr. Dustin Herb, Oregon State University, Chagas who are an Department of Agriculture are involved. We have Tachep and Thompson who are uh, uh, in Scotland who do independent uh, analysis and stuff. So we have, and uh, Minchmalt obviously who are demolters. So we have two sites, one in uh, Atoy in uh, the Midlands of Ireland and one in Montcloody which is in the Southeast, which is in Wexford. We have two sites there and we have two crop varieties uh, that are grown there. And then they're micro uh, brewed and, and fermented and and uh, and distilled. And the findings then uh, go to ourselves, uh, or the spirit goes to ourselves, um, Minch Mall, or sorry, ourselves, uh, Dustin and Tacklock and Thompson and Chagas, okay? So um, Chagas did um, a full chemical analysis of the spirit. Okay, right. so. Gas chromatography, full on science, the whole lot. Uh, We had a tasting panel and we did the tastings on it and scored it. And we sent off the findings then to Dustin, who breaks it down and he also does his work in Oregon. So at the end of it, we're going to have um, a peer review paper. So that's the important thing. As much as we want to say to Dustin, listen, say this or show that, and the same to Joggers, they can't because it's a peer review paper that Dustin is going to uh, give. We were hoping to have it during the year, but obviously, COVID messed that up. So, it's peer review paper to say terror exists, and these are the reasons why terror exists. So, I suppose that's the big thing. Mark wants a piece of paper to, to wave at people and show them. Um, from uh, another point of view, I suppose some people are not interested in terror. Some people just like the taste of whiskey or like the provenance or like you know, the fact that we can trace a whiskey back to a field. And the date was sewn, and everything along. And other people don't give a flying fuck, like they just like to taste of the whiskey. Yeah. So there's, there's every kind of person out there. But uh, I suppose there will be always doubters. For me, in, in when I'm distilling, I would hate to think that I was uh, destroying something. The way I look at it is, it's like a, a chef. Uh, it's like a chef that um, is making a sauce. And what you do with a sauce, you start and you reduce it down to concentrate the flavours up. And that's the way I look at distilling for me is mm. I'm concentrating the flavours up. And also people who say, well, each distillery is different in the whole lot. And that, that's 100%. And cut points have an impact and and uh, and s- uh, flow rates have an impact in the whole lot. The stills have an impact and, and that. But what I would say is we at Waterford have a distillery Style spirit, and yeah. the spirit we're looking to make is like myself, light and elegant and fruity. Okay, that's what we're looking to do a light, elegant, fruity, floral spirit. Yeah, right. And, and, and the flavors then come from the barley, the other flavors come from the barley. So, when I'm saying a light, elegant, uh, fruity, floral spirit, how do I do that? By having a really low and slow, uh, distillation. So, that's what we say here low and slow. There's no panic. We're not in any rush, so right. we have really slow uh, boils. Our heads is probably thirty minutes or a little bit more. It's done on nose and, and taste. It's not done by a, ma- a machine, okay. And yeah. when we do when we do get onto spirit, then we have a really tight middle cut. But the flow on spirit and and spirit is really slow. We don't go over five hundred meters an hour, which is extremely slow. Because if you imagine we're boiling something and by having less steam, you have a less flow rate, but also you have the lighter vapors will get turned back to spirit. The heavier vapors will go up so far and come back down. So if I was to put steam on, a higher steam rate on, I would get heavier vapors over. But to me, that's a distillery style rather than flavor. Our cut point then is fairly high. We've cut a... About 65 and a half to 66. You could go down to 62 or 63 if you wanted. Yeah. You're a really heavy, dour, papery, fainty spirit. But that's the spirit. That's the style of spirit rather than the flavour, if, if, if you get me. Totally.
0: The, the, style, the style of, of spirit. Um, yeah. You know, to, to give you some idea, so my Mashville is, is based on um, a stout beer. I started with a stout beer, broke it back okay. um, to just barley, and I, I embarked on a on a two year experiment uh, using uh, base malts, roasted malts, specialty malts, and at the end of the two years, uh, convinced myself and Todd, my good mate, that yes, the flavors of, of barley do come through in, in distillation, and, that, and that's you know that's that's roasted in that. Um, and so we've got a, a, a unique style of um, whiskey we're making. And in Australia, um, there's a lot of distilleries that are pushing the envelope and, and going different ways and, and making different uh, distillates and making different uh, whiskies. And it's not just Australia, it's global. And, and that, I think that's one of the most exciting things that's going on right now is... Um, People pushing the envelope, you know, trying different things and, and uh, developing their own styles and taking it different ways. Hey, just to change the subject, though, I want to go to barrels, talk about barrels. Because, yeah, um, you know, we're here, the, the traditional marketing thing is uh, barrels account for 65, 70% of flavor in a, in a final product. Um, I'm, I'm leaning more to like 60%, 55% um, based on, on what I'm experiencing. And I know with Waterford, you've got a really interesting wood policy. Um, you know, you're using uh, First Fill American, you're using virgin oak, you're using uh, fortifieds and using a uh, French oak. Is it a standard approach, uh, the ratios that, that you're applying there or you are you playing around with the barrel ratios?
1: So I, I suppose, yeah, casks, and I suppose the the 80%, 80% and, and that. And you'll be surprised when I say this one. We reckon that 100% – I'm going to say this maybe a couple of times. We yes, reckon, yes I We reckon 100% of a spirit's time is influenced by its, its, its time and mood. All right. And I'll pause okay. and I'll think about that. Yeah, I carry on. <laughs> so, so what do I mean by that? So, a cask influences the spirit, yes. okay. But um, you mentioned uh, force fill. So we're using force fill, okay. But like, what happens if it's a second, third, or fourth, fifth a recharged cast? That's maybe recharged, and that's the. F- Third or four fill after that. That's oh. I, I. I'm going to say shit wood. It is shit wood. It's going to give you nothing. Yeah,
0: much much lighter influence from the actual barrel. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah.
1: It's going to give you nothing, mate. Like. So right. what, does does flavour come from that? You know, if yeah. you have a, you have a whiskey that's because uh, I've I've heard stories of someone getting uh, been offered barrels that are sixth or seven fill. You know. Like
0: what? What? What the fuck's that going to do with you? We cut those in half and sell them at hardware shops. You, you know what I mean? You know
1: that that's going to f- fulfil legislation, mate. So what? What I would say is that uh, your spirits is influenced by a hundred percent of the cask.
0: Yeah, I get you now. I totally get you. Okay, yes. you get me now. Yeah. So get you.
1: the other thing I can't avoid either is when people say, uh, or when you go on a distillery tour and you see. Uh, a uh, thing with this is the color after one year and this is the color after five and this is the color after 10 and this is the color after 20 and it's bullshit. Yeah. Depends because, on the wood. It, yeah. Well, it depends on the wood, but if you have a cask in a forceful cask, American cask, it's going to get a color. Whiskey will get its color in the first six to 12 months and it's not going to change much after that we yeah. have we have virgin American oak casks there I should have a sample, I don't we have a virgin American oak cast there that's been filled for three years and sometimes it's not darker than some of the whiskeys are out there that has been in a first filled cask so what's influencing that? caramel, E150 is influencing that
0: yeah, okay,
1: okay? Yeah. so what I would say is uh, the initial question you asked Crafty was uh, the wood policy. Okay, so I got kind of sidetracked a little bit there. So f- f- when we started, we had uh, the farm was split into fifty percent a farm which would be roughly around two hundred casks. Okay, is fifty uh, percent American fill. So we get our casks from Kelvin and Spaceide in America, and they're only forcefill casks and they're non-rinsed casks because rinsing has become an an issue now as well because I'm not sure if you're familiar with rinsing. No, um, no I'm not. Please okay. So rinsing is, is a, a thing in, in, uh, in, uh, in America where uh, they dump a cask and they put water into the cask after. Right. Okay? And the right. water would extract the alcohol that has gone into the wood. And you get uh, maybe a couple of percent ABV out of it, but they're extracting that. They're not leaving it in the cask. And that's what rinsing is. So it's not just rinsing out the cask; it's actually leaving water in there to extract um, uh, the alcohol, the last bit of alcohol out of the wood, and right. they do it with the temperatures in, in, in America and stuff. So that's a rinsed cask. So you might pay a little bit less for that, but you know, there's the some of the properties from that cask is gone. So ours are just force filled casks, non rinsed. So fifty percent of the farm is that. Twenty percent of the farm is American virgin oak. Uh, from Speyside and Kelvin again. Uh, 15% of the farm will go into uh, French premium casks. So when I'm talking about the French casks or red wine casks, Mark, as I said earlier on, had um, 20 years experience in the wine industry, has a lot of contacts in the wine world and knows his wine. So we have casks like Margot, Chateau de Fiche, Mouton Rothschild. and uh, those kind of premium casts. but we also have other casts as well from different chateaus like we have Lynch Bage we have Chateau Violet just other other uh, chateaus as well and the other 15% is from uh, sweet fortified wines we call them VDN maybe not VDN in the strictest terms but sweet fortified wines like Sherry Port uh, Madeira and masala and we're not and when I say Sherry and, and, and uh, we're not talking about uh, um, seasoned uh, casks again, like you know, you put some sherry in it and swirl it yep. around. These are these are the older type. These are the old casks. And these are re-
0: th- these are recouped and and, and recharred or, or no, no, they, no, you, no, no, you no, no. Go, you're going you're going in wet wet wood, or, or? yeah,
1: yeah, 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 wet wood. So uh, it's it's getting them. Um, they could be twenty or thirty or forty years old, and uh, we're getting. And actually, there's there's more availability. There's been more availability this year and probably next year of sh- good, good sherry casks. Because people are getting out of sherry, I think. You know, the demand for sherry has lessened. So I think people are, are so there's sherry casks that are maybe 20 years old becoming available, which is great for us. Um, so I suppose that's what we started with. And as we went along then, as I said, we're not using any caramel, or E150 in our whiskey, so from the color. Uh, so from colour, we're looking for from the casks. So um, we decided that some of the sherry casks were giving us, uh, or some of the VDN casks were giving us lovely sweetness, but not as much colour as we'd like. All right. And so um, we decided to buy some French virgin casks. Okay. Now we could have gone and bought more American virgin casks, but it would be too American dominated. You'd have too much of that. Cremblay uh, sweetness and stuff. Vanilla so coming through. Yeah. Yeah, vanilla. So we bought some French casks, virgin casks. So right. if you if you take it, uh, maybe a, a new American cask is, I you know, two hundred, say, twenty dollars ex works. Um, a French cask is eight hundred euros ex works. So wow. it's a big difference in price. So we're not looking at it in terms of we buy this because it's cheaper. We're looking at it in terms of uh, quality and what it can contribute to us so we're probably at a point now where, we're, where we do um, 45% American force yeah, 20% um, uh, virgin 15% French 50% VDN so we've also some rum casts thrown into the VDN mix now and then 5% French virgin so the French virgin we leave for about 6 or 9 months and we uh, empty those then into five uh, percent of uh, American foresters. So it's just to give them that bit of color and that little bit of uh, um, um, spiciness and, and, and from the virgin casks.
0: Okay, that gonna get my head around this
1: because yeah. I didn't know this, and this
0: is very interesting. So as far as charred barrels, uh, whis- traditional charred whiskey barrels as a percentage of your overall wood policy, it's actually a low percentage of, of the barrels you're using. Most of them are uncharred barrels?
1: Well, no, I wouldn't say that, no, because the American will say 70% of the farm goes into American casks. Ah, oh, okay, So they're, gotcha. Gotcha. So they're charred. Yep. Okay. Yeah, right, yeah. So 30% goes into uh, European oak and 70% goes into American oak, if, yeah, if right. you say it like that. So the American oak is obviously charred, and we go for charred three.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Right. Okay. So, so, um, yeah. so that's what we do. So that's probably you know easier to say like that. Seventy percent goes into charity or into American be it force-fed or virgin, and thirty percent goes into European. You know. Gotcha. Okay. And you started with
0: with single farm. Yeah. Uh, and, and some of the like what I'm tasting now, which is the uh, <coughs> sorry, I'm not, the belly belly kick can.
1: Belly kick cavern.
0: Kevin? Yeah, so I'm trying that now and, and that is quite different than, than the Bano Island so I, I understand I understand you're, you're, you're seeing a difference in the whisky you know, purely from,
1: well, from, from just the one. Just on the Balika Cabin one is slightly different on the single farm releases because the Bannica Cabin was the second farm that we did right. and we didn't, we didn't have American virgin casts for that so there's no American virgin in that one Right. That okay. one is just uh, American Forceville, VDN, and French. So it's, it's going to be slightly different. Okay. I the other thing then with uh, Ballyclay Cavan, it was the second farm we did, so we're kind of, you know, running the stills and finding our feet a little bit as well, like so it's going to be a little bit different. I quite like Ballyclay Cavan. I think people have kind of uh, pushed Ballyclay Cavan down, down the pecking order a little bit. Uh, like, for me, the Banno Island is very... Fruity and floral, it's very pleasing. Yeah. like you know, on the nose for Bally- for Bano, I think you said earlier on marshmallows or something. But there's a there's a fresh rose, that there's a hay, and there's a vanilla custard. There's, it's really inviting. It's really nice. It's really pleasing. Whereas Balikacavan is a little bit more earthy. Um, yeah, earthy, but uh, non. Um, I suppose non-traditional in that it's. Uh, you know, you have to you have to smell Cabin a few times, uh, because it doesn't have that um, really pleasant fruity floral nose. Baliky Cabin is more uh, spicy and it's more absolutely um, more spicy, more earthy, more uh, a little bit more complex on the nose. I think. Mm.
2: Looking through the uh, looking through your your catalogue of releases, they're all bottled at fifty percent.
1: Yes,
2: yeah. So, so you haven't deviated from that across? No, the, no. What I can see. We,
1: we'll, that's a good we'll, question. Yeah, no, we'll be staying at fifty percent. There was a bit. There was a bit of um, debate, I suppose, at the start. You know, we were going non chill filtered, so we we're going to be above 46 to six percent. And there's a bit of debate at the start, uh, I suppose, between financial side and you know, and the flavors and stuff. And um, obviously, I suppose. The more water you add to it, the more money you might make. But when we, when I looked at putting some whiskies together, 50% sat nicely. It was nice. Yeah. It was, you know, I, I kind, of kind of said, listen, if people want to add water to it, they can add water to it, but they can't add whiskey to it. Okay. So 50% when we put some buttons together, just sat nicely, drank nicely. If you added a drop or two of water, grand, but they're still, you know, uh, around the 50%. So, yeah, all our releases will be at 50%. Um, never say never, I suppose, but, you know, we won't be doing, at the moment, we won't be doing any any cast strength releases because if we were to do a cast strength release, we'd probably be at about uh, 67% now because we don't break it down to 63.5% when we cast. We cast at full strength. So, if, 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 we, if we get a... a Runs that are say seventy-two percent goes into the cask at seventy-two percent, which is unusual, I suppose, and different to a lot of distilleries as well. How do you Again, find that from from tannin
0: extraction? Do, do, is yeah. that problematic at all? Have you had any experiences with tannin extraction at seventy-two? No?
1: no, not not at the moment. Again, it's going back to the casks by good wood. So yeah. it's 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 it sounds simple. It's not simple, but like good barley. Yeah. Good
0: good uh, processing, brewing, distilling gets good spirit,
1: good casks. Yeah, it, good, I- good,
0: good equals good. Before Ooh. I, um, yeah. oh, hang on a second, I lost everyone. Before uh, we go on, I'll show you this, uh, Ned. You'll you like this. So, this is a bottle, uh, it's a sample from uh, an organization called the Whiskey List in Australia. And this is a distillery called Overing. So, Overeem is one of the the great early uh, distilleries in, in Australia and this is called flock shots
1: and what flock, this is flock shots
0: flock shots it's called flock shots say, say that after
1: a few shots and see if yeah you
0: say flo- it. Flock, flock
1: shots
0: flock and so, <laughs> hell so what they do is they collect they collect the flock from different releases and so because this is broken down to forty three percent
1: so am I, I I've got, I've got to plead ignorance here what's flock
0: Flock so in Australia, what, what happens, well this is a term that we use, I think just in Australia perhaps, um, you let the, the whiskey settle out. Uh, so we don't generally we don't chill filter in, in, in the yeah. smaller end of town. So we'll let it sit in a receiver of some 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 shape or form, it might be a plastic yeah. IBC or other, and you let it precipitate out. Uh, and then you'll decant from there. So you're left with the residue at the bottom, which is really, really concentrated. The analogy I use is it's like the burnt gravy at the end of a gravy pan. It's it's really concentrated. You scrub it out. So over him it and they did a release called Flock Shots, um, which is just collecting it and then they bottle it. So it's as cloudy as all fuck. Yeah. But, yeah. It's, but it's as tasty as so. so it's, you, it's, it's
1: the flocculation that happens. The sediments.
0: Yeah, yeah. Correct. Yeah. So it's it's the sediments. Um, I had I had a question about wood. Um, so, the relationship you have uh, with cooperage. I saw a video of you, um, a number of videos. Ned uh, on tour in the US.
1: Yeah, yeah once, once uh, There's a bit of a slag here with with my passport. So yeah. I have a tendency to fuck up the passport, parts of things. But anyway, well, we we didn't have didn't happen this year because it didn't go anywhere.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that looked like one fun trip, but what I found really uh, enjoyable was it was incredibly educational too. Yeah, you, know, you, you showed the yeah. whole process and the interaction with the cooperage and and you yeah know, and what I, what it is I, I to put suppose, a barrel together.
1: Yeah, and I suppose that's the thing as well, like people, you know, when people talk about casks, you know, they just talk about casks. What goes into making a cask? What's you know, where does the, the timber come from? Yeah, you know. Like, one of, the, one of the things, we did one on the French one um, back there a few years ago, and I, I think, uh, you know, a, a French oak tree could be 200 years, years old, like, but people, I, I had a couple of people kind of saying to me, that scandal is cutting it down after 200 years, but it's not because, it's part of a managed programme. You know, the French government look after, they plant forests. So it's yeah. a hard for managed program. It's not yeah. as if people are going in willy nilly and, and cutting them down like so. And in America, it's is different like so. You know, um, I suppose. What's the difference in American and European oak? And one of the big things is in American oak you can uh, quarter saw a cask. Right. Yeah. Okay. So what does that mean? So and you can see it'll get a circular shape. I suppose my head is nearly a shape, okay? So if you, if you take a, a cask, you're not supposed to be laughing, Todd. Uh, if you take a cask, you can quarter saw it. So American one can be quarter saw it. So you can get staves off it. Whereas yeah. um, um, European oak has to be split. So you have to look for uh, how to split it. And why do you do that? Because uh, oak is uh, watertight. You know it holds water but the way it holds water is you have what's called um uh, i think they're called rain medullas so you'll see the grain of the wood but running across that you have the the, the rain medullas that stop the liquid from getting out so on american oak it's it's fairly standard it's you can quartz on to go across but on european oak you have to you have to look for it to split it to get it right. And on the European oak, there's a lot more. And it's not waste because, you know, it's oak. It's going to make furniture and bits and pieces. But say from, um, from, from a, a, a tree, you might get maybe, say, 40 staves for European oak. And an American um, tree, you might get 200 staves. And that's the difference. That's why American oak is cheaper than, than, than European oak. It's just that you get a lot more staves from American oak. But it was interesting because we get to go right back to the start. We went to the forest uh, in, in America. We went to the forest in France. We went to the Cooperages and to see the difference like, in, in, in the two, the way they're made, but the passion in how they're made. Everyone is you know, really involved in it. Yeah. Uh, in, America, in America, it looks to be more industrial. You know, the, the charm, the heat. Now, I can tell you, it was bloody roasted. Like just four, four or five or six degrees at ten o'clock in the morning. Anyway, and I'd sweat the best of times. I'd sweat looking at that sweating. That's how much it's. <laughs> uh, I saw
0: that on the video. It looked America, it's it's
1: just funny. crazy. But like you know, you see then uh, staves that are air dried, naturally dried, are dried in kilns and all the bits and pieces. And you get to see like that's where my cask is coming from. So when I say to Kelvin cooperage uh our space out you know this is the casts we're looking for i can see you know this is where it's coming from it's right. coming from a statement mill like this it's been this is the way it's been done yeah happy happy out you know and nice. and one of the things then when you go over and you make contact uh, with the people over there and you have to crack you know and you can they, they see what you're about what Walford is about as well you know why we're going over and maybe making a film it's for me to understand um, um, more about the timbers for people to get a bit of a, a little bit of a video, a bit of crack, show people, but it's also for the Coopers and the distiller the and the, and the stave mills to see what we are about. Yeah. we're looking for these types of casks. What's yeah. important to us, you know, it's, it's about um, a marriage of really, really good spirit and really, really good casks. So we don't want our shit uh, casks. No, not shift is the wrong word. That's not that's not right, but I'm talking about we don't want recharge casks and we don't want um casks that are third or fourth fit. That's not the cask we're looking for. We're willing to pay good money for good casks. But so
0: you're like, invest oh,
1: you're investing
0: in relationships as well. Um, and that's a big thing here in Australia. Uh, yeah. our, Malt, our, Maltsters, our our molsters, our our Cooperers, we have very good personal relationships and yeah, you know, by having those relationships, um, it, it just makes it a lot easier, doesn't it? You, you know, you can ask questions. You, you you know each other's point of view. You know what you're trying to do, and you're all and working suppose, to the common direction.
1: Yeah, and I suppose if we look at craft, you know, what is craft? We're not craft, but we are. So we're not yeah. doing things on a small scale. Like we'll we'll lay down probably six or seven thousand casts every year, right? But we're doing things on a on a in a craft way, I suppose, in a, yeah. in a bespoke way. Like you are talking about relationships. I said at the start, we don't have contracts with the farmers, but we have excellent relationships with the farmers. You know, they come, obviously they didn't come this year, but they come in every year and we'd have a, a bit of a, a party. We'd have the Gores gathering. we will have a few pints and a bit of grub and and that and, and chat. But throughout the whole year, like, you know, I'll show you, right? So this is uh, Sheavestown. So that's a bottle of whiskey from Sheavestown from Philly O'Brien into Kenny. Right? right. What farmer doesn't want to see where their produce went? Yeah, I can imagine. Have their name on a bottle of whiskey that's now being shown in Australia. Okay? Same with... Who's uh, this now? This Is done well. This is another Kikeli farmer. This is in America, so you have a potential for a farmer to have a single farm lease, Okay, yeah. Now, you know, any farmer in the world who supplies milk, grain, sheep, pigs, whatever it is, that goes into the food chain and you don't get to see it. You deal with us, yeah. And we're not doing we're not doing we're not brewing and distilling on a small scale, we're doing it on a big scale. We're laying down over in around a thousand LA's every year, as I said, six or seven thousand casks. So wow. we can show we can show Philly O'Brien's fields the day that they were s- sown, the seeding rate, the fertilizers, the chemicals, when it was harvested when it was bought into the, the minch, into, into Dalton's, how it was dried, how long it was stored, when it was malted, how it was brewed, how it was fermented, how it was distilled, what casts it went into, and what your bottle of whiskey, uh, what the breakdown of the casts are. Full traceability, full transparency, back to Philly O'Brien's field.
0: It's impressive.
1: And the, farm, the farmer is fantastic. Went, they want to be involved in that. They're our first salespeople. Like you, you asked um, earlier on about terror and, and getting people involved in that. And it starts with the farmers. Like, you know, mm. you know they, they, farmers don't make a lot of money. Some of them make money and some of them don't and stuff. But, you know, most people farm the land because they have a passion for it. They love it. Yeah. You know, it, it's in their blood, it's in their family. And when you see people going, going out and they're not quite singing to the barley, but they're looking after really wealthy, because they feel they have a relationship with us. Because they can come in and they can um, taste their new make spirit. You know, if, if they're lucky enough to get a, a single farm release, we will give them a few bottles. And they can say to their friends and neighbours, this is my whiskey that was uh-huh. sown on the... 14th of February, 2016, and it's a four-year-old whiskey now or three-and-a-half-year-old whiskey, and it's on sale in America or it's on sale in Taiwan and hopefully on sale in Australia next year. um, It's just just a relationship that to build up.
0: There's there's so many similarities. Um, As I was driving here, I was talking to uh, the maltster uh, that I use. So it's a company called Voyager Craft Malts in Australia. They supply a lot of craft brewers, a a lot of uh, craft distillers. And uh, I said, mate, tonight, you've got to watch. You know, he knew what was coming tonight, right? And uh, uh, he was dead keen, but it's harvest time. And he says, I'm out harvesting tonight. But he said, "I, I may get the signal but there's certain fields that I don't get the signal. Uh, but if I do, I'm going to be watching. And if I don't watch it, I'll watch it later on. He is a farmer as well. Uh, he has built a business, uh, and he has farmers uh, where he's buying barley. You know, local farmers. So it all comes from an area called the Riverina uh, in New South Wales, and we can trace it right back to the to the farms. And people love. That they they love the they love the story they, they love the the fact that it's accessible and uh, it, it's it's exciting so what you're doing is exciting a lot of Australians because yeah. a lot and of Australians are doing the same smaller yeah, scale much smaller yeah, scale yeah
1: and like what I'm saying we're doing I'm not saying is right or wrong for anyone and I, I would never never knock any other distilleries or breweries because you know. We, we're doing what we're doing, but well, you know, we're passionate about what we're doing. We'll talk about what we're doing. We'll defend what we're doing. And, and we were, as I said, we were in a fortune position. We had really, really good investors. We right. didn't have to pre-sell bottles or casks or do gins or like that. So we could sit on wage. And I suppose that helped build the hype because normally when d- distilleries uh, bring up whiskeys, first, it's from its source whiskey. It could be a, a 10-year-old or 20-year-old whiskey and they need it for income with that. So we were looking off the pilgrimage, which is the first bottle we released, which uh, is there. Um, you are supposed to come and collect it. Like, you know, obviously COVID faked that up. Um, but every every release, you know, since has kind of been three and a half, I think we've had one maybe or two that was four years old. You know, and uh, people are interested in see what the whiskeys like from, because it's our whiskey, it's, it's from the distillery here. It's not sourced right like that. Um, yeah. and, and just go back to the farmers as well, like, you know, um, I think we've used, well, Grace is probably, our needle probably, maybe 92 or three different farmers to date. That's about 150 or 60 batches. So what happens is we have some farmers that we've used every year, some farmers we might have used in 16 and 18 and 20. For different reasons, they come and go, they, they might meet specification or they might have done tillage or they're gone out of it. But we're looking right. for the best farmers at uh, price. It's like uh, it's like uh, you know, the premiership or you know, the top AFL teams in Australia. We want those farmers. And when, when Mark came initially, he was, you know, the southeast of Ireland. But we're actually, this year, 2020's harvest, we have um, farms from the four provinces, which is fairly fairly good because the, the grain grows best, I suppose, or easiest throughout the southeast just because of the, the, the we call it the sunny southeast. It's where Ireland, where Ireland gets most with sun and that. And the barley plant lights, not sun as such, but it likes light. So in the summer, uh, we could have, you know, it could be bright at half, four, five o'clock in the morning until, uh, until 10 o'clock at night. Now I know right. in Australia, your summer days are hot, but they're shorter. You know, so we have, the, the plant is available light. So that's what it likes. So the southeast uh, is where most of the grain is grown. But we have, uh, the last few years, we have had a guy in Galway, which is in Connacht. Uh, and we this year we have had a guy up in Donegal, which is the north of Ireland. So, you know, we're, we're gonna have uh, grain from the four provinces, which is uh, a big thing. And, and people actually, farmers have looked to get involved with us through ourselves or through Minchmod, because they see what's happening. They see, listen, that's really interesting. I get to see where my brain is going, might have a single farm release,
0: and it's just a project I'd like to be involved in, which is great. Uh, that's awesome. Let's um, let's see if we've got any questions out there. Todd, we've got any questions? Luke, we've got any questions or any comments? Did no questions
2: so far. Everyone is very intrigued in the conversation. Yeah, we've we've had a question come through on uh, on Facebook. Hold on. Yep. Yep, I'm not on mute. Just thought i double-check. Yeah, it's all uh, good. <laughs> uh, but I think you're an about-
0: IT expert. If you I'm, can't get it right, no one can.
2: <laughs> uh, I'm on the Brook Lattic, What can I say? Um, so uh, yeah, just just uh, I think you've actually asked or answered a lot of the question about how you go about uh, your process for developing multiple whiskies at once, multiple releases, and. Uh, then choosing which of the farms you're going to have as a release. So I think you've actually answered that. Uh, yeah, I,
0: th- I think I think needs pretty well, pretty well answered answer yeah. that
1: one. Yeah. Actually, what I might just mention though, um, uh, Luke and Crafty, is that um, one of the things that we found out of the terroir project that we're doing is that grain or varieties at the moment have less impact than we thought on on flavours. All right. And the reason for that is because, um, you know, grains have been cross germinated. Okay. So if you were to look at uh, Overture or Irena or, 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 or Propino or any of the varieties that we've used, if yeah. you were to look back at the lineage, they have the same parents or grandparents or great grandparents. So what happened was, uh, Varieties have been crossbred to get a better variety for for us in Ireland in terms of, and it's not in terms of flavors or whatever. It's in terms of you know better straw length so that it can withstand resistance you know, resistance to yeah. pesticides, or yep. if you have a good yield that straw can stand up. So that's kind of happened since probably. Uh, probably the 50s, I'd say, started originally around 1900. So what we've done is is we're looking at uh, what we call uh, heritage grains. Yeah, yeah. So the first one we did was a variety called Hunter, which was, I think, finished around the mid-1950s. We've done Goldtar, which was in around 1900, and we have an old Irish one, which is pre-1900. So really interesting flavours, um, it's, it's a bit of a, a bit of a, a, a pain in the arse, though, to, to grow it and harvest it because, obviously, there's a reason it was discontinued. Like, you know? and so, so what that involves is going back and getting about 25 grams of grain and spending a few years growing it up. So Minch Malt did that first. Um, so we're investing in that as well, just to see the different flavours from those grains, and those are really interesting. Um, obviously the yield is show you to get maybe a tonne to the acre where you get three or three and a half tons to the acre of invention make like, and you know? so there's a big investment we're doing a big investment in that just to see what the flavour is like yeah um, right so, oh, that's very
2: cool So um, a question is coming from uh, from zoom there yeah. um, are there any wild aspects to your yeast strains good question
1: oh, no we um the only wild stuff in the in, in in the in the distillery are some of the lads that are here, <laughs> um, and, and and that's about it, I suppose. But no, we use a, we use a standard distilling yeast from uh, uh, oh Jesus, uh, Maori, Maori, yeast. East. Uh, so it's just a distilling yeast. Again, yeah. the reason we're we're using it is because yeast can change flavors and that. So we're just we're just looking for consistency. We were playing with the idea of. Uh, but Diageo left uh, left uh, a yeast propagation plant here. So we could uh, propagate our own yeast up and we're looking at maybe looking at the yeast side of it. But I think the grain, um, the heritage grains has kind of taken over as being mm. a bit more interesting. And especially when we, when we uh, kind of discovered from the Terroir project, you know, the impact of the grain variety had less of an impact than we thought. So we're kind of focusing on the grain more so than the yeast now. Like you can use these, you can use wild yeast, you can use wine yeast and stuff, but uh, we're kind of we're not looking at that at the moment. So it's just uh, straightforward uh, distiller's yeast that we're using. Hey, and look, you, being, are you going to look, sorry, being a Irish
2: uh, distillery, uh, I assume you're triple distilled. No, I should have
0: do you right, Do you right, That's a good question.
1: I think, I think actually Luke, Luke, is, Luke knows this and he was only prompting me to say it. So thanks, Luke. So Irish whiskey uh, can be doubled or tripled and whiskey can be spelled with or without an E. Now, a lot of people have given out to us. That's not the way to spell whiskey. And even um, the Irish ambassador to America put, went to pull us up on it. There a while ago, and he's actually from Washington. That's not the way you spell whiskey. So we promptly said, "Well, yes, it is. <laughs> you can spell it with or without an e." Um, so we doubled the still. Um, why do we double the still? I suppose we had two stills available. <laughs> it was probably, probably um, so the two stills were were, were built in um, nineteen seventy two uh, for Inverleven Distillery. And worked on and off for about 19 years. So when Mark was in Brookladdy and getting it back up and running, a guy called Demolition Dave uh, uh told, told him that he was getting he was knocking in for leaving distillery and you're looking for stuff. So if you go, I'll sell you whatever bits and pieces you want, and uh, it'll safely, you, you know, get rid of it. So uh, they loaded up a barge and bits and pieces and off they went. And they found two stills, actually three stills, uh, in inverleaven And um, and crafty as, as a a, a brockladie fan, you'll be aware of the still that was outside the uh, outside the distillery there with the wellies hanging out. And that's, that's the one that that's it. That's, that's the one you got. That's our wash still. Okay. <laughs> the other still was the spirit still was in a shed that Mark had. Now. I'd like to see the size of the shed because it's a big enough. Yeah, up- I reckon. And the third still is uh, was uh, Ugly Becky, which is the botanist. So that's how those stills became available. So when Mark left Brooklady, he bought uh, two stills with him and four sites renovated at the time. Um, four sites were building the stills for Macallan. So there was a three-year waiting list. Um, so Mark likes the style of the double distillation. And for me, I suppose the, the I'd mentioned before is how we actually distill. You know, rather than double and triple distilling as well, because you know, I can double distill, you can double distill, Todd can double distill, Lou can double distill. We can all go into the same distillery one week after another and yeah. distill differently. Okay, yeah, so it's still so the double distillation for us works just with the light, elegant, fruity, floral style that we're looking for. We're not looking to get to the higher ABV, and we get the flavors we want by double distilling. So you can double or triple distill, and we spell the whiskey without an E. I suppose there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that uh, you can, and we're a little bit different, I suppose. The other one. I suppose there's been a lot of debate about this and chat about this recently, in that um, um, it, it was kind of seen that it was nearly bought in as a marketing term, uh, bringing the E to you know differentiate between Scottish and Irish, like a little bit. But like, I, I think there's uh, probably a lot more history to uh, Ireland having the E and not having the E than that. But that's kind of what's been talked about uh, recently. Uh, and the other thing is, I suppose, to play on the fact that we don't use E150, which is caramel. We're dropping yeah. e also. And I suppose it's, it's, it's another thing, like Luke mentioned, that we're an Irish whiskey. And we are, but we're not kind of playing on the Irish whiskey thing, because I suppose this is coming back to, uh, you know, some of the, some of the things Mark uh, is, it has been talking about and we're, inter- and we're interested in as well we only use Irish barley. And I suppose for anyone out there that doesn't know, you can make Irish whiskey without using any Irish grain. Yeah, right. Grain, right. So, you know, we have a thing called uh, G.I., Geographical Indicator. So, like, champagne is G.I. and is, is sure there's stuff in Australia that's G.I. probably fosters, is it? No.
0: Losses.
1: It's coming back to Australia, apparently. Uh, that's a stereotypical one. <laughs> <mark. laughs> We're that's trying a, to get rid of it. Are you, like, I usually slag off the Australians and the New Zealanders by saying that the best, the best uh, your best rugby player ever was probably Dan Carter. <laughs> right. <laughs> D- don't know. <laughs> and then, then you hear Dan going, Carter, you know right? Dan Carter. Oh, oh
0: Dan, Car-
1: Dan Carter, oh, yeah, Dan Carter. I'll reach you to call. And then you will have, have some... Uh, I played a bit of rugby with... Uh, a few New Zealand and Australian lads. And just to oh, them up, you know, um, I say to the Aussie lads, uh, she's Richard McCauley, our best player. And he'd say, I'm from fucking Australia. Winding them up, like, you know. Um, was
2: that was a great accent, by the way. Oh, was it? Yeah. Uh, give me another <laughs>
0: few minutes and I'll. Yeah. Hey, i gotta, I got to ask the question What's with the blue bottle? now I love the blue bottle. When I first saw the blue bottle, I thought that really stands out. That, that is so different. It's so elegant. And, and I love the different color schemes on, on the bottle. Where did it come from? What's that all about?
1: So I suppose going back to the, the when I mentioned a minute ago about E150 and the color of whiskey. So we're going for a natural color. Like, yeah. uh, we're not looking for consistency. I suppose that's one thing in, in our whiskeys that we're not looking for. A consistency on every bottle. We're looking just to uh, promote what the farm is telling us and the flavors the farm gives us. So, by having a blue bottle, you can't see the color of whiskey. So, if you have someone in, in, in a pub or in a shop and they go, mm, I think I'll buy that one because it looks old or yes. it looks, you know, they're not maybe ne- necessarily going to get what we're about. So, Mark didn't want people buying the whiskey and the color of it. So the blue bottle um, disguises the colour. Of it. I suppose blue is uh, a Watford colour. So the Watford colours in Waterford are, are blue and white. And I should mention at this stage, if anyone is uh, on from uh, internationally or Ireland or ever that Watford are actually in the hurling all Ireland this weekend, which is uh, which is a big thing. It's it's probably like uh, it's like the grand final, the AFL probably or something like that. Okay, take Walford. your word for that one. Yeah, Walford are in the final. And it's normally on in uh, the start of uh, September and end of August, but with COVID has been pushed back. So they're in the All Ireland this year against Limbrick. And so we should give them a shout, even though I'm a Kenny man. Uh, i still wish Walford all the best. Uh, so that's on this weekend. So it's, it's a nod to Walford as well. A blue colour is that. But primarily it's to. It's to uh, not show the color of whiskey. Yeah. Right. Okay.
0: Well done. Yeah. Now with 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 the. With the um, um, you go, Todd.
3: Crafty. There's another question from Zoom. It's um, oh
0: yeah. Okay.
3: To, to Ned. Uh, does Waterford use unmalted and malted
1: barley? No, 100% single malt. So all malted barley. And I suppose the the other thing is we, when I talk about um, single farms, we also the plan is to do a, a cuvee, which is a mixture of farms, and uh, sometimes I might say it's a blend of farms, but it's still single malt because it's only it, it's we're a single malt distillery. So I think some people think when when they hear a blend of farms, they might think of a blended whiskey, which is a different category altogether. So yeah. Uh, only, only, only single mold but actually I was just uh, uh, saying there earlier on about the GI and the geographic indicator um, and the grains that. So you don't have to use Irish grains, but we, we use Irish grains. So we, we would like, you know, a, a separate, our sub to say, you know, this is only Irish produce in terms of the grains, like you know what I mean? So the, that's not there at the moment because obviously there's not a. There's probably not enough grain to keep uh, every distillery going, which is fine. But I think people would like to know, you know, this is only Irish grain, or this is uh, uh, 80% Irish grain, or 50% Irish grain, and stuff like so. The, the, there's a bit of that so as well. So if we have a bad harvest or the farmers have a bad harvest, which has happened over the years, yeah, so we're going to get less spirit yield and uh, we'll get obviously different flavors but if the if the irish harvest was collapsed altogether we just unfortunately we wouldn't have grain mm. uh, it's
0: a challenge yeah. i got a qu- i got a question um about the waterford uh yeah the water the waterford flavor so a new distillery breaks on t- onto the scene And the expectation is a distillery will have a certain flavor profile. All right. You've gone a a different line with with you're releasing lots of individual releases, farm releases, and, and blends of farms. So, is there now or will there be in the future a standard waterford release which will be you'll pick it up and go yeah that's a waterford i know that's a waterford can you see those days coming or will you continue with the with the, the way you're going no one yes
1: no one yes i tell you why oh. no one, yes because and I suppose this is the one uh this is my first uh whiskey jam so these are my the first whiskies i've ever made okay so i, I they're the your baby
0: jam. these are your babies these ones yeah this, yeah, this, yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
1: So uh, when when I, said, when I was looking at, at putting the whiskies together originally, I suppose I thought, you know, Mark would be involved and we'd have a chat and a discussion. And, you know, I was asked... I, so I remember one day I said he was over and I said, you know, what style of whiskey are you looking for? You know, what, what are you looking for? And I remember it, it ended up in a row and he cursing and yelling and fucking out of it, right, basically. And he was kind of saying... and. It, 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 kind of saying and this is what it is we're not looking we're not looking for a a specific style of flavor it's what each farm has given us okay right but as i've mentioned a few times we have a distillery style of spirit Mm -hmm. which is that light, elegant fruity floral spirit that's probably a water dna because of the way we distill and distills and the way we ferment really long fermentations like, we have 120-hour-plus fermentations. So we're looking for uh, secondary fermentation, malolactic, to promote that floriness in, in, the, in, the, in the wash. Yeah. So after that conversation, I said, right, I know what he's on about now. We're not looking for uniformity. We have a distillery style spirit that we, we, we know we have, and the flavors come from the farm. So from the single farms, what, what I'm trying to do with that is get a balance of maybe the casks that's uh, interesting and that does uh, justice to the flavors. Yep. And then when we're getting to the couve, it's to build layers of complexity and do it in such a way that it's, it's, there's a balance to it that, you know, we don't have a dominance of one flavor over another, but each layer is like a, a foyer or like a, a, cake, a layer cake. So every, mouthful is nearly different or you know you go back after 10 minutes of opening and there's a different smell or there's a different uh, flavor because barley is probably i think is one of the most complex plants flavor-wise in the world like the, the brain can't uh, process all the flavors and all the tastes like that's why you don't see probably alcoholics drinking whiskey or they drink vodka because vodka is just alcohol there's no flavor from it such like but whiskey has so many flavors and, um, and uh, noses off it that it, you, know, you go back to it 20 minutes after opening and, uh, and yeah. it's different. You have a drop like, of water and it opens up a different aspect yep. of the whiskey. So we're not looking for a consistency. We're looking to promote best what the farmer's telling us. And with the cuvés then, it's to uh, give you uh, a mindfuck of a whiskey. Yeah, so mind, man, mind sure, yeah, mind fuck yeah. A whiskey. whiskey, love it. <laughs> mind fucker whiskey, and and, and and like what we've said, Mark has said this before. We're looking to make the most profound whiskey in the world. We're not saying we're mind making the best go on the bottle. Huh? will mind go on the bottle? Uh, it could do. Yeah, it's been it's been said a few times already. So, <laughs> uh, so maybe, maybe you might go on the bottles for Australia because you're more liberal. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. Sold. It's all It's oh, all, it's all. It's we guarantee it. Some of the other countries might give us a slap of the risk for that one, but uh, <laughs> No, no, not in Australia. will no. <laughs> no. just
2: take their share. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> They'll go for it. We're going, uh, to, we're, we're going to shoot the shit with Crafty and give you a mindfuck of a wizard. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> a, a, a private release. It'll A private sell, release. Uh,
1: but, so, right, um, yeah, so Yeah, so we're, we're not going to have consistency. Uh, as such, but the consist. I suppose the style is it's a distillery style of spirit, and the flavors then vary from farm to farm. And then with the cuvées, it's to put them together in an interesting way in a mind a kind of way. Yeah, no, it's cool. It's very, very cool. Now I just want to talk about um, beer.
0: So yeah. this is a good mate of mine. Uh, He's an Irishman. He's a happy Irishman and he's got a brewery called Hoppin' Clover. He's a gypsy brewer. And so this is actually an Irish red ale, uh, which I'm I'm really enjoying. Got quite a smoky note. Um, Dave is his name, Davey Boy. Where's he he from? Don't quote me, but I think he's from Derry, isn't he? Um, Todd, rings a bell. That sounds right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Derry. He's... He and I uh and Todd, we talk a lot, and so we're doing better. Oh, actually, yeah, when,
3: when we say talk a lot, Dave talks a lot. Dave
1: talks a lot, Dave. Dave. <laughs> oh, oh, oh,
0: and, and, we, and we don't talk a lot. You're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: tried to say a lot of shit, but anyway, oh. <laughs> yeah,
0: there's a lot, <laughs> a lot of
3: shit. An Irishman has to say that. So. <laughs>
0: but but one of the things that we talk about, and we've done projects. So uh I'll give you an example. I had a. Uh, In the part of the independent bottling range, I had an ex lager bullen whiskey cask that came to Australia, picked up by a winemaker who made a musket wine. I picked it up via a cooperage who turned it back into a whiskey cask. I made a whiskey, I gave it to Davy Boy, and he made a chalk cherry stout. And then the plan is I get it back. So it's sort of layer up in layers of of flavors, and it's quite exciting. So, the question I got for you is the Irish like a beer every now and then. So, you've got access to a lot of beers and, and beer casking over there, I imagine, would be a thing. Yeah. Do you have any projects like that, exploring the beer route, or are, do you have an interest in, in that sort of
1: uh, approach? Not, not at the minute, I suppose. There's a, there's a good few local uh, craft breweries and stuff, bits and pieces. So, you know, there would be opportunities to do stuff like that. But not, not at the minute because, I suppose, as you can appreciate, there's so many uh, variations we can do with the farms from yeah. a whiskey point of view at the moment that we're just, you know, we're, we're literally still only fighting our feet. Like, this is the first year of our release. Uh, it'd be nice to have a look down the line and do something with the, with the, the beer and bits and pieces, uh, but not in the pipe at the moment. But, yeah, no, it'd, be, it'd be nice just to do be able days work later on. But, it's probably a few years before we start looking at that. Like, I mean, there's a down the he, track. There's a, there's a guy actually, the Baliche Cabin that you have there. Uh, the guy, the farmer is David Welch chemist is his name, and he All actually right. has his own uh, craft brewery called Baliche Cabin. And uh, so you know, we've sent, I think we've given him a couple of whiskey casts from to, to uh, age a bit of and stocken. And actually, you're talking about red ales. He he has a red ear that I, I really, really like as well. So, yeah, there, there'll be opportunities down the line, but nothing's right being, i no, Not at this stage. All right.
0: Now let's bring the, the cone of silence down. Uh, so, Ned, it's just you and me. There's no one else in the room. No one's listening. So what secret projects have you got going on at Waterford?
1: Um, we have no secret projects going on at <laughs> we, 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 have, we. I suppose we're concentrating on... on um, and I suppose the, the Terroir project is, is the main project, so that's a scientific one. We're looking right. at maybe looking at doing some farm stuff. Um, obviously, the heritage grains are, are a big one as well. Um, but like I don't know, wh- what were you thinking? Ask me a question and see if can I answer it.
0: No, I'm just just curious, just curious to see what what, what else is out there. You know, are you are you uh, looking at uh, internationally are you looking at projects are, are you are you looking at uh, certain wine finishes and taking them certain directions uh, well, because there, there is a real strong wine, wine influence yeah, with the Mark Rainier so, uh, background yeah, so, isn't
1: so we don't have to when you say finishes we don't have to look at finishes because the, the spirit starts in a cask yeah so it, it's in it's in uh, it's in uh, um, an Alarosa or a, a, a Porto or cask or a um, uh, Chateau Lafitte cask from day one, so it's not finished to start there. But I suppose one of the things, uh, I, I'd like to do or we're looking at is maybe um,
0: doing a rose. Whiskey. Oh, oh, there's a distillery in uh, Australia called Hobart Distillery, and they did a release in a rose cask, very, very interesting. Remember it, Todd, the rose cask, but Hobart was- distillery.
1: I suppose we're not going to use a, kind of a rosé cask as such it'll uh, be uh, wine casks with some VDN and maybe there might be a little bit of American force maybe not so it's, right. probably, it's just to get that colour pink because a good few of our casks uh, the whiskey is coming out pink so I don't know not know should I have said that on, 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 it was only you and me, anyway, as you
0: said. Yeah, it's okay. The Cone of Silence is coming yeah. up now. If
1: I shouldn't have said that, Mark Newton is going to email me. Yeah, right <laughs> um, but but, but hope, we're hopeful to do that. and um, It kind of goes back to the cheese. Uh, you know, I'd like a bit of cheesiness, like, you know, 80s music and all that. Like, And it also ties into the the brewery's first recorded uh Recorded uh, date is uh, the fourteenth of February, seventeen ninety-two, which is Valentine's Day. Like you know, so yeah. we, we won't have it out for Valentine's Day next year because uh, we'll just know on that. But hopefully we'll have uh, we'll have something uh, maybe next year on that. So that's, Very that's, that's that's one of the one of the things. Ask me ask ask me another question. I won't tell you, but you can ask me. <laughs> All right. Where where do you think?
0: Waterford's now on, on the world stage. Uh, there's a lot That's of excitement. it's not in Australia. <laughs> but it's not in Australia. Ah, yes. So yes. hang on, we've got it. We've got We've got a, a special announcement about Australia, and it's straight off the press from Ned. Yeah. We are going to have potentially uh, Waterford in Australia. When Ned? Yeah,
1: hopefully uh, early next year. Uh, there's there's a good bit of work going involved, and obviously. Uh, COVID has made a mess of a lot of stuff. And you're obviously in in state lockdowns, the whole lot, so it's it's probably making it a bit harder. But uh, just discussing it this morning there, I was asking uh, Martin Newton, and we're hopeful to have it maybe early next year, Uh, because there's been a huge amount of interest in Australia, which is great. Uh, It'd be great to get it over there. Obviously, uh, a lot of Irish people over there, um, and there's anyone there from Ireland that knows me, hello. Um, brother-in-law, <laughs> brother-in-law, Nick and Michelle and the, the kids, yeah. and then the mayor Colin O'Neill in the the, the House Bar in Sydney. There, um, Dot the, House uh, coming to talk Dothouse to you house, soon. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So there's a lot of interest, and we're trying to get into because what, what 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 what's great is, you know, even if it, even if a shop is looking for it, right, we've got some obscure places. Looking for. I'm nearly sure, I'm not 100% sure, but I think recently a shop in something like Mongolia looked for it. Something like that, something mad. Like but the fact that they're looking for it, they're obviously interested in it. So yeah. if they're going to sell it, they'll, they'll know the story. Because I suppose the other thing is, we are different. We, you know, someone may not, as I said, someone may not care about provenance and traceability and terror but the people who are looking for it are interested in it and we'll talk about it and you know, we'll give the right information because terroir is going to be um, used differently. Like terroir is not, a, is not a sense of place. It's not, you know, you Wofford know, Distillery is the terroir. That's not, for us, that's no. not the terroir. No. The terroir is, you know, what influences uh, where the barley was grown and, you know, climate and topography and all the bits and pieces that influence that. That for us is tower. It's not a sense of place of the distillery, or you know, obviously people are important and have an input in you know in the, the making of it. But that's still not terroir for us. You mm. know. No, so it's we, where it's where the barley's growing. Yeah, it's, it's
0: location it's the and environmental
1: influence. influence. Yeah, the, the flavors of, of that. So hopefully, um, early next year we'll have um, we'll have in Australia.
0: Okay, cool. Change the subject again, because I'm just sort of thinking on my feet, shooting the shit as we go along. Globally, what's happening with whiskey? What excites you right now, besides Waterford?
1: What are the distilleries?
0: Not not, not, not necessarily distilleries, but if you want to name a a distillery that excites you, that's fine. But more trends... Regions, um, yeah, and and distilleries, yeah. yeah
1: I, I suppose for, for us, um, starting off, we were um, we were looking at um, we, we had we have distributors and they were working with shops like our amazing whiskey or the whiskey exchange, and you know, and they were saying just listen, this stock will last us, you know, uh, six months or you know a few, good few months and then we'll come back to you and like they sold out in three hours never saw it before okay so from, our point of, from my point of view it's it's where where has, our, where has water whiskey gone that's surprising right so, that, you know, so our very first orders came in from Taiwan very first order of water whiskey went to Taiwan so I, I'm just interested to see you know what what the Taiwanese would think of uh, water whiskey? The different styles. Like I was uh, I was on a call there last week with a guy from China, uh, and we're doing a, a small release for for him for China. but it's just to understand the Chinese palates a bit. Not yeah. Okay. Us, us as uh, me as a, a meat eating, spud eating, beer drinking, hardy kind of rugby playing, tick fella you know i have different flavor profiles and different palettes than to someone in china so it's to understand the difference um in palettes for different places and what necessarily i might think is nice they might not or they pick up different flavors like uh, i was talking to a, a guy um again, who was involved in the Terroir project, uh, Dr. Kieran Gucalli from Chagas, and he did some work with, uh, with uh, milk going to uh, China. And the, their flavors, their profiles, what they can pick up and we can't, we, it doesn't even register on our scale. So that for me, from my point of view, is going to be interesting to see uh, different uh, territories. What I have a taste to note, you won't taste. You'll taste something totally different, which is grand anyway because everyone is different. But in some are totally different altogether, where they have totally different foodstuffs and uh, flavor profiles. You know, and experiences. Yeah, would they get? Yeah, would they, they get? So when I talk about um, a barnyard note, I I did a bit of farming. I love yeah. getting hands dirty and bits and pieces, and I really like that note. But does it, someone else? Does it? another territory find that offensive so do i have to pay her back back if i want to go send whiskey there or do i just send it off to him and say well fuck you this is what i are getting like you know and that's kind of uh that's kind of what i'm kind of looking forward to and also going to the different countries and experiencing them and seeing you know because press press the flesh and meeting people like we were talking about the casks earlier on getting an understanding of what they're doing and what we're doing I think that's what I'm kind of looking forward to in, in whenever we do get out and, and that um, what's exciting I suppose is trying to get into the markets that are, are are not even big markets but are who 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 maybe don't understand terror or don't understand traceability or, or who want to know about traceability we can then this is our traceability and we can blow your socks off. You can put our, we have terror codes at the back of the bottles. So I don't know if people can see the terror code there. So, okay. Not really, yep, carry on, yep. Okay, so there's a terror code at the back of each bottle and you go to our website and you put in that terror code and that gives you information. That gives you the sound of the farm. We've got and recorded the sounds of the farm. We could show you the side, we could show you the fermentation times, we could show you the casks, we could show you the cask information. And it's to get people in, in, interested in that. And it's probably to, uh, I think when we do have the Tower project come out, I think it's going to open a discussion that some people won't like. Uh, some people will, will uh, try and. Um, Come back at a Saturday, maybe not in a not in a nice way or whatever, but like we are up for the chat, like we are willing to talk about what we're doing and 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 uh, and and kind of defend it to you know because this is what we believe. We'd have a chat about it, and if you have a different point of view, well that's grand. Let's have a chat about it. Yeah, you know, or you can show us what the information, or you can. Uh, so I think the Tower Project project is probably going to blow things up in the whiskey world a little bit. Oh, I can't. I honestly can't wait
0: uh, because the disrupt the disruptor element. I, I think is a great thing. Uh, I think it encourages new conversations. It takes people a different I, I, I ways. I
1: just, I just say on that though. I, I don't think it's a disruptor element. I think it's it's Mark who has a belief and a passion, going whole whole hog for it, and putting money behind it and. Doing things to the nth degree. I think that's it. rather than being a disruptive thing, it's been this is what I believe in. This is the vision I have, and we're in. It's it's like going in with a um, in a game of poker with our best hand. And you're you're all there. in.
0: Well, no, let me at, let you're me sorry. add add to, add to what I was just saying though. Okay. Disruptor element, but basically coming forward and presenting empirical data and saying, we have done the hard yards. Here is the data. This is what we believe. We're going in this direction and sharing it and, and being transparent. And that's 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 the cool thing. The, tr- the level of transparency, um, that will excite people. That will encourage people to go off and explore and, and challenge their own thought processes. And some will agree and some won't agree. And that's just the nature of the
1: beast, isn't it? Yeah. We we, we're going to have people that don't like our whiskey and that's just the nature of that. That's what'll happen. And yeah. So it's like, you know, we're not gonna say, well, you have to like it because we've spent X amount on this or that. People are not gonna like it and that's fair enough. Like, I mean
2: we're not gonna not gonna fall over. Where should we start? So for for all of us Australians who we haven't had our little sampler of water, we 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 we're yeah, we're not (laughs) trying (laughs) to Thanks, Joe. Joe, <laughs> thank you. Where, where do we start? What do you recommend we start with? This was actually a question off of uh, Zoom from uh, Ken Moore. Um, where do you recommend we start with the Waterford releases? Wherever you can get your bottle, whatever bottle you
1: can get. Yeah, yeah. I'd, t- I'd say there, that'd yeah. be the case. Yeah, uh, like, to be honest with you, I'm not going to say uh, get Sheavesden or get Barry Warren or get Barry King Cavern. I'd say if you can get your hands on a bottle, like, just get that bottle and enjoy it for what it is, or explore for what it is. And then the next bottle you get, you can do the same. And you know, one of the cool things about it, too, is what you can do is when you get a Sheaves Town and a Bally Morgan or a Broomsland or Ballyfield cavern or whatever, you can mix them together. You can make your own Covet. Oh, steady on, steady on, steady on. You're going
0: to excite a few more people now.
1: You, like, you, you've you've,
0: you've done is, it now.
1: This is I don't know what happened here. This is uh, that, this <laughs> is <All right>. <laughs> That's Van that I think this is Sheevs town. No? And you can just say,
3: right? Oh, that. it's a good day for Ned today, you can see. Uh, uh,
1: <laughs> and and but like, you were making your own whiskey then. Yeah, so you, yeah, it, yeah. And, and if, if you're if the tree if Luke and Todd and Crafty are together, and you have the same uh, whiskeys, you, you can just put in different measures, and you get different whiskey. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Then, then you can smell it, and you can go, okay, I can I can get the I can get the uh, that rose hay, red apple, candy floss. And now I can get something else and it's a mixture of of the two farms. So I'd say, get whatever you can get your hands on, just start there. There's no bottle that's a starter. Each farm is an individual farm. It's it's from that farm, it's a flavor of that farm. And whatever you can get your hands on. And then if you can get something else, try it out and explore for what it is. And then you can start by, you can put little bits together and go, I like that. All right.
2: that, that. That implies that there will be any left once you've opened the bottle. <laughs> no,
1: that, that is the thing. That is the thing, yeah. But I suppose, uh, you know, what is whiskey? Whiskey is for drinking with mates. Yeah. Have Conversation. Conversation. Yeah.
0: Have, a, have a crack. Now, just on that, Ned, so it sounds like you're going to be travelling once things open up and hopefully you're going to be travelling to Australia. So... You, when you come to Australia, you're going to run a masterclass and you're going to do a blending of Waterford within the masterclass with people. That would just be an awesome experience,
1: my friend. Yeah. It really would. What we had, um, we were due to, we were, one of the things we were due to do was we were due to go to Canada there this year. Right. And, and for me, if I'm doing a taste, like the Zooms have been great, but I'd much prefer. Face to in the face. in the room, yeah. In the room, yeah. Um, and like to be honest with you, if I was doing a masterclass, of the few I've done, I'm not talking to people. I'm talking with people. I'm talking. We're having to chat. Yep. And one of the things I'd love to do is uh, is to do okay. We do a taste of um, maybe a couple of new makes, and because that's where you get to see. Um, the terroir influence before the cask is involved. Okay. Mm. So you do a couple of new makes, we maybe do four whiskeys and then we have an empty glass. And from those four whiskeys, you make your own whiskey. Oh, yeah. Okay. And if there's 40 people in the room, I guarantee you, you'll have 40 different whiskies. Oh, yeah. That but would be an own... amazing pack to get.
2: Yeah. Uh, it's to look, make look your own... all your different new makes. Yeah. Just to see, so we can see what the effect is of the individual farms, uh, and, and experience that firsthand. that will be magic.
1: I, what, what I'd be saying is, if we're in a room with 40 people, four whiskies, you put the whiskey together, whatever you want. There's going to be there will be 40 different whiskies, and it's then it's to it's to talk about the smell or the difference, or I put this amount in and i put this amount in because I like that note but that note is actually lost now. See, mm-hmm. a, big, a mm-hmm. big part of putting whiskey together is, especially for the cuvées, is what you might think will work might necessarily work. Yeah. Because when you bring farms together and flavors together, notes get lost or other notes are amplified. Mm-hmm. It's like having a relationship, but, you know, there's different stages that different things work and you think these two will work together. They work for a little while and then they don't and or there's ones then that just go hand in glove straight away and they work for a lifetime. And yes. it's the same with whiskeys like that. When you're putting um, uh, whiskey together, you think, okay, so this one on its own is, oh, yeah, that's really nice. Oh, and that's lovely. I think the two of them will work well together, and they don't. No. They, they, might, they might hit off each other. And in some aspects, that could be a good thing. But others, then, you don't have a balance. Or one is too domineering. Mm. So that's the interesting part uh, as well because we had, um, back in February, we had uh, distributors over from Europe and that, and we had a, a few beers, a little bit of food, and uh, we came back to the distillery, it was late in the evening, and we went back to the tasting room, and we were doing a few bits and pieces, and I said, listen, you put the whiskey together the way you want, so there was a heap of samples there. And, I think there was about four or five of them did it and not one of them was balanced because it's not, you know, so I understand the spirit. I understand our whiskey, my whiskey. And I know it's like, it's like making a cheesecake. Okay. This is going to be the base layer and this is going to be the ingredients. And I can put a little bit of this in and a little bit of this in. And that's where understanding uh, what they're distilling and what's going into the casks, and the cask influence comes into them when they're putting the whiskey together. It's not just as easy as throwing it all in together because um, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. And when you're expecting flavors and noses to come off of the not one of the things I'd say about our whiskey too is the nose and the taste don't match very often. So when I'm smelling, this, I'm, I want to smell. I'm smelling um, um, freshness, I'm smelling um, uh, floriness, I'm smelling um, a little bit of, you know, it smells old. I'm going to taste it, then it has that youthfulness. It has a spiciness to it that I'm not necessarily getting in the nose sometimes.
0: So, a disconnect. Yeah, a disconnect, so which could be different.
1: good. So, mm. Um, our whiskey doesn't have the nose doesn't always come through on the taste and vice versa, so it's it's that's where the complexity is starting to come in as well.
0: It's very cool. It's very cool because I've been distilling for three years, uh, laying barrels for five and a half years, and in the last Todd, how long? Last two and a half years, we've yeah. we've been vatting barrels and yeah. learning learning the concept of vatting barrels. And if I think about one particular example, we were playing around. So this is just a single, I don't know, its about 400 bottles, right? Uh, and we were playing around with different barrels. And we had the two components, the two barrels, and they were different barrels. And we thought, we, we know that, we like that. We know that, we like that. If we put the two together, we'll like it. And we didn't like it. Yeah. We didn't like it. It, 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 it clashed. And what we ended up doing was putting, so this is uh, 200 odd litres. We ended up putting, it was like 10 litres of another barrel, which was a Botrytis uh, wine barrel uh, finish, just 10 litres. And it just, it just brought the whole thing together. And it was such a revelation. And we've done it a number of times. And just recently, um, I did a, um, a project with a good friend of mine, Marty Pye, who may be watching, Riverborne Distillery. And I was at Marty's Distillery, and we we're really small, as you know. And said, Marty, give me twenty liters of your whiskey, and I will vat it with twenty kil- uh, twenty liters of my whiskey, and we'll play around, and, and we'll come up with a blend, and it'll be a, a vatted release, which we actually call Batman. So, what happened is, I took, and I was going one to one. So Marty's whiskey, which is light and floral, uh, my whiskey, which is quite Heavy, chocolatey, robust, and I was going one to one ratio. I was going, nah, it no, it needs more craft works. No, it needs more river and I was doing this, and I couldn't get the balance right. And then I had a couple of liters of Marty's from a previous project, which was a peated whiskey, and it was Scottish, Scottish peat, hundred percent, and it was a very peated whiskey, but it wasn't medicinal. It, it was, it was malty, biscuity, uh, but had smoke to it, and just a small amount, just. Up the middle, just brought the two components together and gave it structure. And this is a massive learning just in the last two years, and it's super exciting. Um, the whole concept of vatting and blending.
1: Yeah, and 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 you know, that's so. I'd have I'd have bottles like this, small bottles like this that I get in from Ballygarn. And what I do then is, you know, it's it's not just you know yourself. It's not just a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You actually have to measure you know you yes. have to measure out the the, the the volumes and you have to say right i'm going to use uh, uh 20 mils of this and i'm going to use 20 mils of that and yep. I'm going will use 20 mils of something else and 10 mils, and then you go okay that doesn't quite work then you have to go back again so each bottling you know c- takes a bit of time and takes a bit of you know but it's going back to kind of you, you know understanding your whiskey and understanding your spirit and going okay, this should be a good starting point, and then it's just the finessing points, it's what brings it over the top to get you that interest flavors or where they're working together, or as you said, where you can introduce something. So, you know, if I'm doing a couve, um, uh, w- which is a mixture of farms, you know, I would say, I, I remember uh, this spirit and whiskey, and that might be the component that's missing, or I can. Or I can add in uh, a French cask to this now, and that will change it to where I need it to go. You know, so it 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 is that it's not just as simple as throwing it all together.
0: No, it's it's cooking. It's basically cooking, isn't it? It Knowing your ingredients and how they all work
1: together. And and that's it. Like so, each cask is an ingredient. Mm. And so we have thirty thousand casks filled at the moment. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Each cask
3: is an ingredient. yeah, you, just yeah, just yeah. pan to pan to the left and show Ned our our barrels. I'll just drive. put put things into perspective. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is our entire range at the moment. <laughs> it's, it's not about
1: quantity. <laughs> oh no, it's all about quality. It's, it's about quality. quality.
0: <laughs> carry on, carry on, Ned. Hey, hey. <laughs>
1: Todd, 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 it's not about the size of it, it's how you use it.
0: Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> we're very um, careful how we use it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's known how to use it. It's known how to use it. Um so yeah, so um so I suppose that kind of ties back to a couple of things in that we're not like we're not looking for a specific uh style, as I said, the spirit and the way we lay down the spirit, that gives us our water and style, and then it's just what the farm gives us and trying to bring it together. Um, and actually just um, when you mentioned the the peat there a minute ago, just curious, yeah. you know, and you were talking about your um, spirit is heavier. Do you have lower cut points? Where, like uh, your cut points, you know, Client. when you're going to tails, are they lower than, than the other? What was the other distillery? Sorry, the- so uh, Riverborne. Uh- Riverborne. Gen-
0: generally about 72 first cut point, second cut point, around about 62. Um, okay. I- I'm sort of 75 and I'll go down to 60. Um, okay. And the reason I go so deep is because I've got some roasted malts in there and those roasted malts around the, around the, yeah, around the 60 mark. Um
3: okay.
0: That the richness comes through. Uh, you, you can go to wet cardboard very, very quickly. It's a very yes,
2: fine yes. line. you got,
1: you got to watch it. But uh, no, yeah. so, It's quite So, it then where, so we, we probably don't go below 65 and a half. Yeah. We'll start, start at about 75 go to about 65 and a half, 66. So yep. we have a really tight metal cut, But our spirit then is that is a lighter spirit. Yes, so you, yes. You know, so that just, you know, give the audience uh, like you can go anywhere you want with cut points, you know but one of the important things though is at the very start is what we found is that if you go if you miss um, if the four shots the spirit, if you're not careful with that, you miss mouthfeel the mouthfeel yeah. at the start, and if you go too deep into the spirit and don't collect that as spirit you're going to miss that melt field. So you we were mentioning oiliness and stuff earlier on. Yeah. yeah. That's that's kind of where that's coming from as well. So like our plant, our distilleries, all singing, all dancing in terms of automation. There's one thing that's not automated is, is the safe where there's manual cuts on and the steam is semi-automated. So it brings steam on a on program to a certain point and then the distiller adjusts for flow so you know you can see with different cut points i was just curious when you were talking about the peat as well with peat as well like if you're cutting at a high on peat i'd imagine or low on peat that gives you that you know when you were talking about medicinal um um, point aspect of the peat that peat could have been cut at a higher point you know than maybe in the low 60s right you, you can imagine you could have a peat that's a, a light, elegant peat. Like yep. If we were to do peat, it would be a light, elegant, maybe. Whereas if, if you're cutting at 60 or 61, y- you can imagine that heaviness, that that slight faintness, that slight cardboard could come into it. Absolutely. To to think what, when people are talking about peat, they're mistaken peat for the lower cut points, I think. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, no, no, I t- totally, totally get what you're saying there. I, I mean, as, you, as you're getting further down, you know, closer to the to the 60s, you, they're they're, they're heavier, meaty flavors. Yeah. Um, but that it's such be, such a fine line. Yeah, that maybe lends themselves to um, to the, the, the peach style that some mm.
1: distilleries or people are looking for.
0: Like you know. Yeah, yeah. So just
3: to let you guys know, it's nine o'clock, so it's two hours.
0: Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, how okay. Are we going? Are we got any questions out there, or are we just shooting shit amongst ourselves? No,
3: it's all good so far from um, Zoom's point of view.
0: We're answering all the questions, yes. <laughs> just in conversation. Yeah. I presume there are people
3: watching, is there? I oh, know there's people <laughs>
1: watching. Don't worry <laughs> about that. And
3: they're obviously enjoying what you're saying. So. Okay. Yeah. Well,
0: I
1: suppose. Uh, yeah, we're after two hours. It's ten o'clock. And it's starting to get bright outside now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so so we probably should let you go, Ned. We probably yeah, well, should let you get get back to your, your day job, I guess.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, breakfast is the next thing because I know, army doesn't march on an empty stomach, and I'm an army on my own. So. Yes. <laughs> 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 um, yeah. Sure. Is yeah. else you want to cover? You know, I suppose what I'd say too is, you know, hopefully next year when we get back up and running, it is if if anyone is coming over, you know. Uh, thanks. Off an email to uh info at water distillery or info at water With whiskey. Now that's yep. without a, dot com, That's the new address. We're going to water With whiskey, and you know, and we're trying to arrange something. So, hopefully, when this COVID is over and you're back up moving, it's probably going to be the summer anyway. I'd say for us, our winter fee. Um, yeah, it'd be, it'd be great to see people coming over and sharing the time and yeah.
0: You 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 will you will have a lot of Australians coming your way when they can. Uh, I can guarantee that there is a lot of people that love to travel, love to experience whiskey, um, and you know when when the borders open and Ned, you can come down, mate. I'll uh, I'll shout you a red ale, yeah. shout you a red ale, mm-hmm. and. Uh, we will uh, we will have some fun in Australia, and yeah. we we cannot wait till Waterford is in Australia. And I speak for a lot of people this and uh, and also thank you, mate. Thank you um, to you know having the having the chat tonight, shooting the shit. Um, it's been really informative. I've learned a lot. Others have, and just just shooting the shit is fun.
1: Yeah, no. In, in fairness, I think. Uh yeah when we if we can get to australia it's definitely on my list anyway uh i've been i've been to Perth before uh i wouldn't mind going to uh, uh, Sydney sydney around that area or whatever whatever part of australia it'll have me um you know could get to port like years ago from death, you know so whatever <laughs> for for against whiskey maybe some people might say well, here, but, uh, have to go uh, pretty hard <laughs> No, it'd be great to get over. Um, yeah, and I think the, shit, the shit, uh is is kind of suits our style as well. Like we like having the crack and and uh, and just taking it handy and just hopefully when 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 we get the care package from Australia, we will give you a shout again. We'll, we'll have a little chat about it and stuff. Oh, and mate, that that'd be awesome. That'd yeah, be awesome. We'd yeah. love to do it. We're
0: really
3: looking forward to your opinion on it.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah,
3: well, Listen, we'll we,
1: we drink it in there. Once it's alcoholic, you know, be, that'd be a good start. You know. And I know, I'm sure. I'm sure. Just listen, listen to and having the chat with you there the last little while and yesterday and that and, and seeing what you're doing, um, and it's, it's right up my alley as well. Like, and the fact that you're having a, an ale there as well there is, a, is a good sign as well. And hopefully someday uh, soon we'll get over and, uh, and we we'll get to have a chat face to face.
0: Awesome, mate.
1: All right. Well, you have a good day? Keep oh, doing yeah.
0: what you're doing, and we, we look forward to hearing more from Waterford, mate.
1: Thanks very much. Thanks, right. Luke, and Todd, and Crafty. Uh, stay safe and happy Christmas. Actually, no second.
0: second now. You got an Irish Santa there? Really yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have. You got an Irish Santa.
1: <laughs> um, the, the, the cheeks are genuine. It's uh, not maple. Yeah. The conditioning, as, uh, if if COVID had to hit and Santi uh, wasn't available this year, I was, uh, I think, being penciled in to do the urge, uh, urge section. So uh, whether people, you know what, the kids know I'm Santi's cousin anyway, so. You know, <laughs> All right? All right. Brilliant. good, my friend. <laughs> as-
3: they come in so is, um everyone is very appreciative of your time, and um, they've thoroughly enjoyed your your conversation. So. And y- y- yes, I am single. If anyone has asked, oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> there, there were a lot of those. But was uh, <laughs> And, uh, and um, congratulations on winning the was it the Troy Nations this year. Congratulations,
0: that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Even I know that.
1: <laughs> Actually, when, when when are the Lions going to Australia?
3: I don't know, Todd. That's your your camp. Um, it's been a while since they've been. It was a couple of years ago though. They, they, they toured Australia, and New Zealand. So maybe the next time, maybe the next time
1: Lions are Australia in Australia, we make make it out. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: About
1: us. All right, we'll, all right, we'll, my we'll, friend. We'll forget the palms. we'll forget the palms though. No, I'm an
0: answer
3: to
1: it. Yeah,
0: Slanja, see you, <laughs> my friend. Take this off now. Thanks,
3: everyone.
0: Thanks, everyone. Appreciate it. And uh, tune in for the next one. We will continue this probably till 2022 with the content that we've got, which is yeah. awesome.
3: Yeah, yeah that's good. Cool. <laughs> might even invite Ned
0: back. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we off, Luke?
2: Uh, we are almost.